0: Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, 26 through 31, and from chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, last week, we finished up our sermon series looking at what it looks like for us to grow in our marriages together uh, in healthy and God-honoring ways. And that series, coupled with the uh, seminar on on Wednesday nights, was a powerful time of, of looking at our marriages and, and our relationships together. Um, and I do hope it stirred you guys up as much as it encouraged you. This week, we're going to pivot to start a new five-part series in... Um, Todd is going to be taking some time off in July, so he gave me uh, five weeks to plan a sermon series. So I was like, man, I'll do something really easy. Let's look at the covenant. <laughs> and we're going to trace the covenant of God through the Old Testament, is what I decided. Um, I don't know why I did that. Uh, I'm just kidding. I think it's going to be a really good time. Um, it's certainly, f- f- just so you guys know, it's going to be more theological and bent. Um, So if you are more of a theology buff, uh, that's going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun together. And those of you that aren't, uh, I just want to say this. uh, The whole reason why I want to do this series truly is not so that we just get in the weeds of theology. I I really believe that in looking at this covenant between God and man, we are going to learn something deeply personal, uh, both about him and about ourselves. And so whether you're a theology buff or not, I think all of us can really begin to to learn something new about God and ourselves in this series. And the reason is this is because a covenant uh, is all at its core is a relationship. That's what it is. A covenant is a relationship. And uh, the covenant that God makes with man is the engine that drives forward the biblical story. It's kind of the propulsive force in all of the biblical story. So if we miss it, we missed something really important. So the next five weeks, we'll be looking at God's covenant with Adam this week, uh, Noah next week, Abraham, Moses, and then finally David in the new covenant. And in doing so, I really hope, I really believe that we'll begin to see our relationship with God in a new and more powerful way. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood uh, with a lot of families. And uh, in in Charleston, South Carolina, it was still the days where uh, you... Rode your skateboard or your bike to your neighbor's house, and you left it in the yard. And um, you know, we didn't. We you know, it was, it was a typical suburban upper middle class neighborhood. There was not really a lot of worry that bikes or skateboards were going to get stolen. Um, but there were some you know rougher kids in the neighborhood, um, and uh, you know, nothing too bad. It was more like they'll break your mailbox in the middle of the night because they're being stupid type deal. There's this one kid uh, that was, you know, kind of more of a nuisance than anything, and I'll never forget, I was uh, playing, I think, football or frisbee or something in a field, and I left my skateboard at the basketball court, and I saw him drive up with his buddies and grab my skateboard and just leave, Um, and I was like, wow, he just stole my skateboard. Um, And I really honestly had no idea what to do. So I go home and uh, my brother was at the house. He's five years older than me. And naturally what is mine is his because he's five years older than me. He said, where's your skateboard? I want to ride it. And I said, well, um, John took it. And he was like, what do you mean he took it? I was like, well, he stole it. And Jimmy was like, Uh uh-uh. Literally, this guy, five years older than me, my brother, who terrorized me, beat me up all the time, didn't even say a word to me, left the house, went straight to the house where John was, I don't know how he knew he was there, went in there, grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, threw him out into the yard, didn't do anything else, looked him in the face and said, don't you ever take anything from my brothers ever again. Grabbed my skateboard, jumped on his bike, and came back to the house and handed me my skateboard. It was a pretty cool thing. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I was like, that was awesome. (laughs) But it made me think, the reason I tell you this, um, like I said, this was my brother who really, you know, messed with me a lot as a kid, who took my things, uh, you know, did essentially whatever he wanted. But the moment that someone came after me, he fought for me. He stood up for me. The stronger one in our relationship moved towards me by fighting for and caring for me, against my enemies even. And as we mentioned earlier, a covenant is first and foremost, it's a relationship. And at the core of it, and the reason it it is the engine that drives forward the biblical story, is because uh, it is a relationship between God and man. And our God is a relational God. And in the past century or so, theologians and scholars have discovered that actually the majority of relationships in the ancient Near East were covenants, uh, and these were uh, kind of relationships between two peoples or two entities or or even nation states. And there's two types of covenants that we saw in the ancient Near East. Uh, one's a parity covenant. And that's just a fancy term uh, when the two parties in the relationship are equal. So a lot of times this would be like a military force, uh, two military forces that needed each other's help. And they would enter into this equal, mutually binding relationship together, giving care to one another. But the other type of covenant that was typical during this time was called something even fancier. It was called a suzerain-vassal covenant. A suzerain is like a bougie name for a king. A vassal is a bougie name for the king's subjects. I mean, it's nothing more than that. And in this covenant, uh, one person or entity has most of the power— And the other party is subject because he is in need of that power or of that protection. So the suzerain would provide military support, care, uh, and just general support to his subjects. A sense of safety. And they would, the vassals in turn, as a lesser power, provide loyalty, obedience, support. Often in the form of money, allegiance, fighting men, and goods. This too was mutually beneficial and binding. Here's why I tell you this. The type of covenant that God enters into mankind that we just read about in in the creation story is like a suzerain vassal covenant. God has all the power and we are his subjects. And where he provides for us care and love and protection, we respond in obedience, love, and submission. But here's what's amazing about our God. This covenant, while it looks like an ancient Near East covenant, uh, suzerain vassal covenant it's not exactly the same actually and here's the main difference god always moves towards his people in grace first the covenant that god made with his people is one of grace and when we as his subjects and vassals when we don't hold up our side of the covenant as we see throughout the entire old testament and the new testament and then even in our own lives god always holds up his side God, the stronger power in this covenantal relationship always holds up his side even when we don't. That's what grace is. And what we're going to see today is that this this type of covenant, suzerain, vassal-esque, but one built on God's grace is the type of covenant that God entered into with Adam. And it's the same covenant of grace that he entered into with Moses and Noah and Abraham and David. And through Jesus Christ, it is the same covenant of grace that he enters into with you and with me. So you see why this is so vital for us to study together. God has been fundamentally engaging in relationship with his people in the same way since Adam. And if we don't grasp this, if we don't understand this, we miss out on, I think, a lot of things. But ultimately, I worry that we will miss out on understanding who God is. And we might misunderstand who we are to relation to him. And ultimately, I worry that we would misunderstand who Jesus is. See, the covenant of grace is the through line throughout all of Scripture. It's the through line. So, we're going to see this with Adam. He always moves towards us and Adam and grace first. And um, our duty, our obedience, our loyalty, our acceptance, and even our sin and salvation ultimately are not a uh, scene in light of how much we can do for him, but rather because of the grace and love we already have in him. And so uh, this covenant of grace is, is how he fundamentally relates to us. Uh, and it's going to call us to three new ways of understanding. So they're going to be up here. First, we must understand who God is through this covenant of grace. Two, we must understand who we are in this covenant of grace. And three, we must understand who Jesus is through this covenant of grace. So first... We must understand who God is. So this is uh, one of the most important aspects of grace that we must understand. It's, It's simply this. God moves towards us when we could never move towards him. At the heart of grace is God taking initiative towards us when we never would take initiative towards him. And the creation story, which we read today, shows that God did this, yes, with Adam, but with all of creation. So in the story... God is the active agent in it. Um, so it says this in verse 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So in the ancient Near East, uh, there was many creation stories and myths But in almost every single one of them, uh, the earth was created out of some kind of, uh, whether it was warring deities that were fighting with one another, or uh, many different gods laying claim to different parts of creation and throughout the world. And yet it is only in the Bible where we see one God lay claim and responsibility for creating the entire world and all that's in it. And not just lay claim... But to create it and to call it into existence, not through conflict or not because our God was uh, lonely and and wanted uh, something or someone or or not even uh, because he was bored, but simply in the power of his word. And verse 3 really illustrates this. It it says uh, in our translation, and that is the whole parsing out of the Hebrew, it says, let there be light and there was light. But the literal translation of that is, is simply this, let light be light. Let light be light. That's it. God, all he had to do was say, let light be light. And there was light. And in that same way, God creates all the world and calls it good. Verse 31 says this. He said that God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. Evening. And there was morning, the sixth day. So he makes all the world by the power of simply his word. He creates and puts the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky the place he makes all the animals and flora and fauna and he puts uh the mountains and the valleys he just creates it by the power of his word his creation means something fundamental to him it means he's in relationship with it that he cares about it his initiative to create shows a desire in him to relate this is why he calls it good And we see this the most in in Adam and Eve Uh, in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1. It says that God created him in his image, in his likeness. And in verse 28, it says it blesses him. In verse 29 through 31, he gives them a purpose. And then in verse 18 of chapter 2, we see God, a a relational God, created mankind to be relational as well. Create Eve and um, create them to be in relationship with one another, but also with him. God moves towards Adam, gave him purpose. Life, work, and relationship. Think about this. He, he gave them all of these things before sin ever even entered the picture. God wanted and desired to create in this way. This is grace. Moving towards his creation through relationship. Even when they never could move towards him. And I think what I, um, what I love about this idea is that our God is, is the same yesterday Today, tomorrow, centuries ago, and centuries in the future. He's always moved towards his people and humanity in this way. But this does mean a few things for us. And the first is this. um, Our God is both knowable and unknowable. Because God is creator and we are his creation. um, And if you want to put that up there, Bethany, uh, there is a distinction between us. There is a certain otherness in God uh, that we, on some level, will never completely understand. It's the mystery of God. So if you look at that line right there, there is a line that divides us, the creation from God, our creator. And I know that this seems very simple, um, and I actually put the, just a the simple line up there. But if you look at the line just in this way, for me, it's actually very helpful to realize that there's a lot of things that are above the line, the creator line, that I'll just never understand about God. There are some things that are simply unknowable and other about the God that we are in relationship with. And, you know, there's a lot of brokenness in the world. There's a lot of um, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does Uh, this cancer go into remission and this one not? Why does um, this person get pregnant and this one get not? And, you know, the truth of the matter is all of that is because of sin, the fall, the brokenness of the world. But we also know that God can and does intervene in history. So why doesn't he? And part of it is because it's above the line. We just don't know. We don't know why he moves sometimes and why he doesn't. This gives us hope because it reminds us that we are fallible, we are finite, we are the created. And the creator is above the line. There are some unknowable things about him. When we struggle with the absurdity of the above the line mysteries of life, we can take hope that our God is still good. And that he loves us and he moves towards us in grace. Because that is what the whole counsel of scripture tells us. But here's what is even more hopeful. Our God is knowable, actually. Though we can never cross that line to to get to him, what Genesis 1 and 2 and this creation story tells us is that our creator did cross the line. And he did come down and he entered into a relationship with his people. And this is where grace comes in. Where we couldn't get to God, he came to us. Where we can never be in relationship with him, he chose to be in relationship with us. He crossed that dividing line so that we could know him. So that we could understand him, at least in part. Yes, there are above the line things, but the creator of the universe has made himself noble to you and to me. So this is the the completed graphic. God came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, The arrow on the end of that line I like to call it the grace arrow because it reminds us that when we can never reach God, he did come down and that his posture to us right now was one of goodness and of grace and of love that he did not stay above the line, but he came down to walk among us so that we could know him. If you're here this morning looking for freedom, and for love, and for grace, you can't find it. We have a God who's moving towards you in this way. Um, I think the biggest way that I struggle with this is that I often feel distant from God, and um, I I often feel distant, yes, um, yes, emotionally, as if, like, is is he actually really there, but I think more, I feel distant because there's shame inside of me that says, God can't possibly care about me. That all the things that I know that are true of Him are a lie. That He couldn't possibly see me and know me and care about me. If you want me to be very honest, I think I struggle with that often. And then, um, and then I think about that arrow. That simple arrow on that graphic. And I'm reminded that it is pointed towards me. That God did come down. And that he does love me and he does care about me. He is moving towards me. He wants to heal and restore my brokenness and shame. That arrow of grace is an arrow of hope for us. The God of the universe, who spoke the mountains and valleys into existence, who made the stars and the universe and all the galaxies just by the power of His word, is moving towards us. And there's hope there. And he's moving towards you. The same power that he holds, and just the power of breath, of his breath is the same power that's moving towards you and me. How could anything, anything stop it? And that brings us to our second point. So we've seen that God's covenant of grace is central to our understanding of how he relates to us. So we must understand who he is. And now we're going to see that we must understand who we are in light of this covenant of grace. So Genesis 1 and 2 is all the elements of a covenant, similar to a suzerain vassal covenant. And we saw uh, the stronger party God initiating and entering into this relationship with his creation, claiming it to be his and good. And this is only one half of the relationship though, right? A covenant is a relationship. It's not a one-way street. There, there's, like any uh, relationship, an understanding of give and take, of mutual commitment to one another. And in a covenant, in biblical terms, these are often called blessings and curses, and uh, it's an understanding that fulfilling your end of the covenant will lead to blessings, and not fulfilling your end of the covenant will lead to curses or, or, or consequences. And we see this from God right after he creates man as the jewel of his creation, in his own image. He gives us responsibilities, or as he says, blessings. Like a good Lord, tasking his servant with duties and obligations, he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle, over all the wild animals of the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And in chapter two, it says he literally blesses them. Uh, And he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. And he said, see, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to the, every beast of the earth, and to the, every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant to you for food. He gives Adam and Eve tasks to subdue the earth, to care for this world that God made to be their home. He gave them the gift of childbearing and family, food and shelter, a place to live. He gave Adam and Eve all the blessings that they needed in their relationship with him. And yet, what we know is that they weren't satisfied. We knew that uh, Adam and Eve, who God had given them free will to choose life and death, sin and eternity, looked outside all that God had given them, and they wanted more. Verse 15 it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall die. And we know in Genesis 3 is that they did eat of the fruit. They chose disobedience over obedience. They chose to abandon the covenant rather than fulfill it. They chose death over life. And they chose sin over eternity with God. And sin entered the world. Changed everything. They were expelled from the garden covenant uh, because of it as the curse or consequence of not holding up their end of the covenant. Their curse by eating the fruit and choosing disobedience allowed sin to enter the world And every part of this world that God called good, the curse from Adam and Eve, touched and broke. And it's never fully recovered since. But man, here's the the good news of the gospel. The covenant of grace that God entered into with Adam in chapters 1 and 2 isn't negated when they didn't fulfill their side of the covenant. The obligations and stipulations of the covenant, what Adam and Eve were supposed to fulfill, weren't contingent on God's love and grace. And the reason for this is because they already had it. They already had his love and grace. They were supposed to respond to God out of that love and grace, not to gain it. So that means when they were expelled from the garden, when they did suffer the consequences of their sin the one consequence they didn't suffer was losing God's love and grace. Chris Wright puts it this way, it's a fundamental mistake to think that in the Old Testament, blessing or salvation came as something earned through obedience. On the contrary, blessing is intrinsic. That means it's fundamental to the covenant relationship established by God's saving grace. God always moves towards his people in grace first. So he didn't abandon them when they ate of the fruit. He didn't abandon them when he expelled them. He didn't abandon them when their son killed their other son. God never turned his back on them when they turned it on him. And God doesn't turn his back on you even when you turn it on him. You see, God sees us as his creatures. His image bears first. And then as sinners in need of salvation second. That in and of itself is hopeful for us. When God sees your sin, he sees you first as his beloved creation, turning your back on who you are. Not an awful person embodying who you truly are. Hear that again. When God sees your sin, he sees you first as his beloved creation, turning your back on who you are or meant to be. Not as an awful person embodying who you truly are. Sin is disastrous to ourselves and to one another and to the world. But our thesis today is that there is one covenant of grace that God relates to all of mankind through. So the same covenant that God made with Adam is the one that he makes with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and us through Jesus Christ. But here's what is true and why we're even doing this series. The covenant looks different through each of those people, right? It looks different and it looks different for us today. How could that be the case? Why would the covenant look different if God never changes? The reason is because we change. It is us, the human element, that changes the way that the covenant looks. Because of sin, we are the agents of change in the covenant between God and man. Mike Williams puts it this way. As an organic historical relationship, the covenant deepens and even undergoes change in the biblical story. Any relationships between people change over time. And similarly, the biblical story displays discontinuity, maturity, and change within its continuous covenantal relationship between God and his people. The human story from creation to new creation does change. And that affects how God administers his creation covenant. The human story from creation to new creation does change. And that affects how God administers his covenant. if there's an inconsistent peace in our relationship with God, it's not him. It's us. And I don't mean um, consistency in how much you're reading your Bible or consistency in how much you're going to church or praying. I mean consistency in simply learning who God is and who you are in relationship with him. I mean consistency in inviting him into our everyday and into our ordinary, I mean consistency in laying our fears, our failures, our shames, and our brokenness at His feet. I mean consistency in confessing our sin before Him, not out of guilt and obligation, but because we know His open arms of love and forgiveness are waiting for us. This covenant of grace is good news for us as sinners. Because in our inconsistency, God's love and grace for us is unchanging, never-ending, eternal, eternal. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It is consistent in our inconsistency. But I would be remiss if I didn't say one thing. The covenant of grace that God moves towards his people in, it's a covenant between him and his people. Not with everyone. In one sense, though, everyone on earth benefits from God's covenant of grace with all of creation. This is called, uh, the theological term is common grace. Uh, the simple idea of this is that the effects of sin in the world are not as bad as they could possibly be. God restrains the effects of sin or else everything would be uh, like post-apocalyptic Hunger Games-esque. All of humanity is not as sinful as we possibly could be and that's because of God's common grace. But the truth is God's eternal covenant of grace is only for his chosen people. The sinfulness of man and its disastrous effects from the garden until now means that not everyone will receive the benefits of this covenant of grace for eternity. There will be payment and penalty for sin and eternal judgment for those that don't confess faith in Jesus Christ. Part of our calling as kingdom workers and in our mission here on earth is to proclaim salvation through grace and faith in Jesus Christ alone. So that others can be brought into this covenant family. But this is how we must understand ourselves. We are the jewel of God's creation, the lesser party in the covenant who turned our back on God in our inconsistency, but who never leaves us. And this is why we are Christians. And gratitude and thankfulness and humility must always be our posture because of it. I love it that we don't have to do those things to earn His grace. But because we already have it. And we see that because he's always moved towards us in that way. And that brings us to our final point. So we've seen that God relates to us and all of creation through a covenant of grace. Because of this, we must understand who God is. We must understand who we are through that covenant. And finally, we're going to see that we must understand who Jesus is. Up to this point, we've seen that God uh, made a covenant of grace with creation. But the reason that uh, Adam eating the fruit is brought upon this curse of sin and death to all mankind is because of this reason. Adam was the representative of all of mankind in this covenant. He was the representative for me and for you even. This is why in Romans 5 it says this, Therefore, just as sin came into this world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, but who was a type of the one who was to come. Because Adam was that representative, when he fell, we all did. That passage in Romans shows us that death through sin spread because of Adam. But it also says something very interesting. That last bit, it says he was a type of the one to come. In a sense, Adam was the type of other covenant representatives that we're going to study. Like we said, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, who also covenanted with God. But the type of the one to come that Adam is getting at here is is the one who, like Adam, will be the covenant representative for all of mankind. This is where we begin to see Jesus in a new light. Where God covenanted with Adam on behalf of all mankind, and he couldn't fulfill the obligations of that covenant, Jesus could. And he did. And this is why the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the climax of the entire biblical story. And this is why it's so cool that Jesus was human. He had to be human to uphold our side of the covenant when we couldn't. But he also had to be fully God to pay the price of that curse that brought the sin by not fulfilling the covenant. You see, the consistency and sufficiency of Jesus covers our inconsistency and insufficiency. But here's, this is why I start getting super nerdy about this stuff. What, what's so cool about this covenant of grace too is that all of the Old Testament, we call, we call it the Old Covenant, right? Uh, it was always looking forward to Jesus. And us as New Covenant people, we're always looking back to Jesus. Jesus is the pivot point of the entire history of the world. And it is His grace on the cross that covered all of the Old Testament. And it covers us today. The reason why God can enter into a relationship with his people graciously is because the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross covers all of the Old Testament. And it covers us today. That is why there is one covenant of grace purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in his new covenant people, yes, we are covered under the same covenant of grace, but there is different for us. We have the Holy Spirit in us where we can directly commune and have access to God. But what the Old Testament people had a taste of, this grace, we know in full. They always knew that God was gracious to them. You look through Exodus and Deuteronomy, they always talk about the graciousness of their God. The Psalms are ripe with it. But they didn't know how or why he was. And they had the temple system, and they had the ritual set up and to give them a taste of that grace, but it was always pointing to something different. It's always pointing to the true Lamb of God slain on behalf of the world. We have what the Old Testament church had just a slight glimpse of and understanding of. We have in Jesus Christ a full understanding of who God is, who we are, but who Jesus is. So my question and challenge to you is this. Where's that pushing you? Where's that changing you? Where do you need that grace this morning? You know, I it, it's a funny story with my, my brothers, uh, my brother, Jimmy. You know, he wasn't really my suzerain, the like king or anything like that. He probably liked to think he was at that age. Uh, but through the years, I feel like my brothers have been that for me often. They've been often my protector, my counselors, my heroes at times. And one of the greatest gifts in my life, I think, is adult relationships with those brothers. This new understanding of a relationship that I have with them as an adult has been one of my greatest joys in life. And my hope for you and me as we do this series is that we begin to understand God and Jesus Christ in a new way. That as we see him move throughout history in our sinfulness and brokenness, as he covenants with man, that we begin to see our relationship with him in a new light, a more powerful light, a more life-giving and joyous and free life in our God and Savior who has moved towards us in the same way for millennium. That is where our hope is. I hope that's your hope this morning. Father, thank you for um, your grace. Thank you that you chose to cross that line and to enter into a relationship with us. God, as we begin to scope out what it looks like to be in covenant relationship with you, God, I pray that you reveal yourself more to us, that your Holy Spirit moves powerfully in us as we learn who we are in light of your grace through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your covenant with us. Thank you for your relationship with us. And thank you for your goodness.